Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. Well, you're welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about our last episode discussing mental health and mental health services and the provision here in Ireland. You can still listen back to our podcast on the GoLoud app or on Newstalk.com. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, all this week here on News Talk, we're saying enough is enough with the Government of Ireland's No Excuses campaign. To discuss, we're joined in studio by Nolene Blackwell, who's the Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. First of all, Nolene, thanks very much for, for joining us today. A pleasure. Thank you. Um, the number of sexual offences being reported to the Gardaí is very much on the rise um, here in this country at the moment, Nolene. Why is that? Yeah, so I'd love to be able to give you a a good answer to that, Andrea, because it would make it easier to understand how to deal with it. So there are a couple of possible reasons for the fact that every single quarter for the past two years, the number of sexual offences reported to the Gardaí has gone up by about 15%. Other types of crime have either gone down consistently or go up and down. But sexual offences, the numbers reported to the Gardaí are rising all of the time. And is that an indication that there's more incidents of sexual offences or sexual attacks or assaults happening or is it just knowing that more people are actually reporting it? So it's probably a bit of both but we don't know because there's no underlying figure that we can use as a base figure. The last time that we looked at the prevalence of sexual violence in Ireland was in 2002. Now that's 17 years ago and in many ways generations ago. It was before there were smartphones, before people were using anything other than a dial-up internet. Uh, so there was a whole lot of things that were changed. We are probably in a society where that is maybe more sexualized, or where younger people are starting uh, to have um, earlier experiences of sexual activity. So possibly Part of it is about an increase in sexual crime, but we don't know. Part of it is probably about people being more conscious that when sexual offences happen, they are crimes and that people can report them. And it is probably also about more of the Gardaí understanding how to take reports of these crimes. Just to give listeners an indication as to the stats in this area, for instance, Nolene, I think in last year in 2018... 3,182 sex crimes were reported to on Garda Síochána. It was up 26% in the previous two years alone and double the number of uh, these kind of crimes being recorded annually from a decade ago. Yeah. A decade ago. Usually sex crimes are probably chronically under-reported. So... Is that increase now, do you think, down to perhaps societal change, more awareness, greater understanding of legislation? So it's probably partly that, that people are more aware that there is, that a crime has been committed. And they may also feel in some cases that they are reporting something that needs to be reported to stop people, to stop other people being harmed. So a lot of the time, people who contact the National 24-Hour Helpline, which we run in the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, when they contact us and they say they're going to report the crime, they're often going to say they are doing it because they were harmed themselves and because they know it's criminal, but also they want this person to stop doing it to somebody else. The trouble is that we're not sure 
why it is that the numbers are increasing because we don't have the underlying baseline and alas we won't have for another four years because the government has started to do a new survey uh, through the CSO um, and that is going to take a lot of time. Uh, But to to put that 3,000 plus figure in context Andrea, that was the number of sexual offences reported countrywide in 2018. It is half the number of new people who contacted the confidential 24-hour helpline. So over 7,000 people contacted the free confidential helpline that we run. Okay. Over 7,000 so, new people. And and so, so that's people who are reporting onto the helpline for the first time. So that and, and and not everyone who's um who's who's been harmed by uh, sexual non consensual sexual activity. Not everyone is going to contact the helpline mm-hmm. either. So this goes to show that at three thousand, just over three thousand offences reported to the Gardaí, we still have a massive underreporting. But that, I mean, if you're to, if you're to, to just back of an envelope calculation, only look at those stats. I mean, if you're saying that the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre is receiving over seven thousand calls, we've got three thousand one hundred last year reported to the guards. There's a massive discrepancy. Yeah, there there is there is, and and, and this this is because actually traditionally, and to come back to something that you said earlier, that this is an area that there's a massive underreporting partly because it's so hard to talk about these things. It is really hard to walk up to a Garda station or to phone a Garda and say, I have just been violated in the most intimate way possible and I'm going to report this as a crime. That's hard work. And then there is the issue of there is such pressure on people not to report by the rest of us. So if somebody is harmed, it's very often the case that somebody will say, look, the other person didn't mean it. Or they'll say, how much did you have to drink? Or why did you go out dressed like that? So the the level at which there is um, that the victim is blamed for the for the crime that has been done to them is absolutely huge. Now I know in all crime victims tend to blame themselves. You know, if your if your phone is stolen, mm-hmm. you're likely to say, "God, I shouldn't have left it on the." on the shop counter where I left it. But it doesn't mean you won't report it. You know, you don't yeah. feel that, that that's wrong. So, but in this particular area, the reaction of so much of our society is, what did you do to bring that on yourself? How did you provoke the person into um, raping you or into sexually assaulting mm. you? So those are all barriers to reporting. Okay. I'm interested in just one of the elements you talked about there very specifically, Nolene, about the the violation and uh, perhaps maybe that fear or hesitation that people have to um, reporting a crime, a sexual offence. Is it because in some cases maybe they don't know that it actually constitutes a violation? Is there perhaps maybe a fear that it, it wouldn't be? Yeah. They think maybe, well, this won't be seen as, you know, X crime yes. or is that is that a part? Yes, it uh, definitely is, and we know that again from the helpline. We know it from people who phone the helpline, and they say, "Look, I want to tell you. I don't know what I want to tell you. Something happened. It wasn't rape, but something happened." And by the time they have made whatever statements they need or talked about it a bit, it is clear to the counsellor 
that the activity was sexual activity and if it was non-consensual then it was a sexual offence and it could have been rape. So all of those things are clear to the counsellor who's heard it before. But for people themselves to name that they have been raped or sexually assaulted can be very hard to yourself, let alone talking to somebody else Mm. about it. And let's face it, you don't actually talk about intimate sexual activity to many people. You know, it's not a thing mm-hmm. that people are happy to talk to their parents about. Often to, we'll get, say, a young person who might tell their their mother, but will say, please, please, please don't tell I my don't father. Tell, or, yeah. you know, that kind of... And I'm not, I'm not trying to make a, a sexist thing there because it could be they tell their father and say, don't tell my mother. Mm-hmm. But these are things you hear the whole time that people don't want it known they're blaming themselves and they're talking about something that for the most part you talk about to nobody. Yeah. And and, and one of the points I wanted to ask you about today, Nolene, is that for um, maybe people listening to this today who maybe have thought about ringing the likes of yourselves in the Dublin Rape yeah. Crisis Centre, maybe some of the other support agencies and organisations out there, what is the level of, like, can you talk us through if you like, the um, the stereotypical phone call that would take place. Like, how much detail do people have to give? How much anonymity yeah. can a, a yeah. caller have to yeah. the service? Because that can often be, a, you know, oh, they might recognise me or they might yeah. know my voice or they might, you know, know who I'm talking about. Or they, you know, you'd often hear these this, kind of things. This, this is massive. So one of the things about the helpline is that it is entirely confidential. Un- unless... Unless a child or another person is at is at immediate risk of harm, where there might be some, um, requ- there are legal requirements. Say, for instance, if it is clear from a call that a child is at is at risk and needs protection, we have to report that in. Or if, uh, yeah, so there are a couple of very. Uh, limited exceptions like that, but for the most part, people can be assured of absolutely of absolute confidentiality and no judgment. And We're so what, not, what are those exceptions? Just? So the exceptions would be, for instance, if a call revealed that um, a, an identified child was at risk of um, harm through sexual abuse or otherwise there okay. on the spot, we'd have to report that to Thusla. Uh, if somebody was at risk of suicide, for instance, on, on a phone call or something, we'd have to seek help for that. Mm-hmm. But those are the only very limited exceptions. And actually, they don't arise on the phone line. For the most part, yeah. that's not what happens. It, so, so while there's no stereotypical call because people are all taken just wherever they're at as individuals, people can come in and they can tell us almost nothing about themselves, which is why some mm-hmm. of our statistics are only 60% revealed their gender, their name. Lots of people won't tell us where they're calling from. They don't have to. If they want yeah. to, that's fine. If they want to tell us everything that happened, that's fine as well. We're there to hear that. But if all they want, if they say, I'm not ready to talk about anything, but I want to know where the nearest sexual assault treatment unit is, we will just give them that information yeah. and they can call back then when they're ready to look for more. I would imagine a huge part of what you do and what other organisations do, Nolene, is probably very much um, 
a fact-finding mission for people. Maybe it's often it's the first call. Maybe it's the first time they've spoken about it. Very often. And it can often be the first time they've spoken about it, even for something that happened many years ago. And lots of people will just say something like, even after something like this programme, sometimes people will phone up and they say, I just want to say that this happened. I'm not going to do more about it than that, but I do want to, to record that it happened where it hadn't happened before. And then the other people who phone are often the parents social workers, a teacher who has seen something that's troubling them and, you know, loads of people will phone in who are supporting the person, just looking for information. Uh, But then sometimes it's kind of the late night and somebody can't get it out of their head and then they can phone up and just have a chat with a counsellor. Is the importance of collecting um, the kind of statistics that we're talking about today, we're going to be talking in a few moments time, Nolene, to people that I suppose run the kind of the more medical element of the services in in terms of what would happen if people do report or they want to seek help. Is the importance of this to try and maybe ensure that resources, funding for resources are allocated in the right way? Is that is that really the significance of looking at the stats? Yeah, I, I, well, it's it's really important. Uh, how do we know how to solve a problem if we don't know, say, the extent of the problem? and if we don't know what the trends are. And so at the moment, this information is gathered randomly from um, from organisations like ours and the other rape crisis centres around the country. That's only the people who come in. If you don't know what the extent of the problem is, how can you deal with it? Mm. It's kind of like smoking in some ways. Unless you know how many people are smoking, you don't even know where to target your your campaigns um, to to have enough healing facilities and to have enough prevention facilities. so the problem with not having the stats is we can only say from from nearly 20 years ago, one in, in three women and one in four men are affected by sexual violence over the course of their lifetime. That's a hell of a lot of people mm-hmm. in the country and most won't reveal it. Also on that part of our discussion today, the reason we're doing this is that we're, we're talking and discussing the issue of domestic violence. Yes. Do we have any figures or indication, Nolene, as to when we talk about these kind of sexual offences, rape cases, these kind of crimes, how often are they actually within their own home? Yeah, so so when you're talking about domestic violence, let's, let's say intimate partner violence is normally, is we just take it from our statistics over the years, the number of people who come in to us in our statistics, about 13% of those who are coming in suffered sexual assault or including rape at, uh, at the hands of an intimate partner. If you take that up to within the family, if you take it um, sexual assault by a parent, a sibling, mm. um, uh, by a child, uh, it rises enormously. So our figures then are near 30, 35% year on year of the harm of this happens within the home, which really just um, destroys the stereotype we have of rape and sexual assault happening by somebody outside. Domestic violence, violence within the home, violence within the family includes sexual violence. When you think about it, it's a good way to start abusing power is to abuse your sexual power over somebody. Uh, and very often that is the case, that sexual assault um, and rape can precede uh, physical violence, other forms of coercion. Uh, and and very often our society, again, wasn't great at, at calling that out because our, our laws, um, our our churches very much had an attitude of what happened within the home was private, not a public matter, whereas in fact people were being harmed by sexual violence within the home. It's also not gender specific. 
No, not at all. You know no, not at all. So on the 24-hour helpline, 20% of the callers who come in to us are men. Uh, for people who walk in for face-to-face therapy, 10% of those are men. A lot of the men um, who come to us have have suffered uh, abuse as children. They've been abused as children. But actually, the number of adult uh, rapes and other sexual assault is increasing year and year as well. It's not specific mm. to any one okay. gender. I can't let you go today, Nolene, without asking you to um, to provide us just with the, the contact details yeah. or the helpline. If there's anyone listening today that thinks you know, maybe there was something I want to ask about or talk about or report from X number of years ago or yesterday. Yeah. What should they do? And there's nothing too small or too stupid or nothing too big for the helpline. And the number of that is 1-800-77-88-88. Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. Well, you're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Now, all this week we're saying enough is enough with the Government of Ireland's No Excuses campaign. And we're joined now in studio by Dr Maeve Ogan, who's a consultant obstetrician and also the national lead for sex assault treatment services right across Ireland. First of all, uh, Maeve, my, my thanks to you for joining us here in studio today. Um, just kind of set the scene, if you can, Maeve, for us a little bit, because there's going to be a huge element of um, of the population myself included who won't know and don't know what exactly is involved in in cases when we talk like about rape cases and treatment and services and also as well in terms of um, sexual incidents of sexual assault and the kind of treatment that I suppose is undertaken when people come to you having you know in, endured a really horrific incident whether it be rape or sexual assault and they co- go to the likes of say the sexual assault unit at the Rotunda Hospital just first of all what's actually involved there? Okay well you're absolutely right nobody knows anything about the sexual assault treatment units until they're there because it's not like having a baby or you know going to your GP that you know it's something you're, you're potentially going to do at some point nobody ever wants to be in a sexual mm. assault treatment unit so they don't therefore read up about it in advance until unfortunately the unimaginable happens to them so we have six sexual assault treatment units in Ireland we have Dublin Waterford Cork Galway, Mullingar and Letterkenny and Donegal so those six services provide the same care to men and women who present after sexual violence. So regardless of which unit you go to, you will receive the same package of care responsive to the needs that you have. So the majority of people, two thirds, come with on Garda Siakana. So they have gone to their local Garda station, reported an incident of sexual violence and the guards arrange for them to come to the sexual assault unit. This happens round the clock. So they could come at three in the morning, they could come at 10 in the after, ten in the morning. We aim to see people within three hours of them reporting an incident to the guards. Um, and the reason for that is that DNA evidence deteriorates quickly. So the sooner the better we see somebody. Okay. Now, of that target of three yeah. hours, because the one thing people are sick listening to is the fact that, you know, national targets aren't met yes. in terms of timelines yeah. and there wasn't, you know, the unit, there wasn't staff and resources yeah. weren't in place. How much of a problem is that in this area? Yeah, so... Uh, more than eight out of ten people are seen within three hours of reporting an incident um, to the guards. There's reasons why some people mightn't be. It might just be that they want to go home first and take a bit of time mm-hmm. before they come in, or it might be that there isn't a guard a car available, or it might be that they're waiting for um, a different guard to come in and come with them, or whatever. Um, or it may be their own choice. They might be waiting for a family member or a friend to come with them. So when they come to us, um, 
they meet first of all with somebody from in, in Dublin from Dublin Rape Crisis and um, so that's a psychological support worker who will first and foremost address with them the huge trauma that's been mm-hmm. visited upon them yeah, from, from the psychological perspective um, and then we in the services will explain exactly what we're going to do which is take some details to guide the examination that we're going to do and then ultimately perform an examination which may involve intimate examination mm-hmm. and taking intimate swabs. Now these aren't huge enormous swabs they're a bit like cotton buds but nevertheless for anybody to have that done we all know ourselves going for a cervical smear or going for an STI screen it's not a pleasant thing but you can imagine doing something like that after a huge crisis is pretty awful Um, so we take it at the person's own pace and if they need to take a break during it or they need to go out and make a phone call or they need to wait for somebody else to come in with them and support them absolutely fine Um, it's not like a clinic or a waiting room with a GP, thankfully, where there's hundreds and hundreds of people all waiting to be seen and a huge big queue. You know, we usually can give people the time, the amount of time that they require um, to go through mm-hmm. this. After the examination, the guards take those forensic samples and they're brought to Forensic Science Ireland where they're processed to form part of the investigation um, of the sexual crime. But we also give the patient health care. So, for example, if if there was an associated physical assault and they have a head injury or they um, have a cut requiring sutures or they um, have a lot of pain from bruising, we can give them pain relief. We also give them... Um, emergency contraception because obviously one of people's greatest fears is that they will become pregnant Mm -hmm. as a result of an incident of sexual violence. We also give them preventative treatment for infectious diseases. So we give treatment to prevent against chlamydia. If we feel there's a big risk of HIV, we'll give them treatment to prevent prevent against HIV. Um, And then afterwards, they'll go back out, they'll meet with the person from rape crisis and make a follow-up plan in terms of access to ongoing counselling if that's what they want. Nothing in the um, investigation of ca- or care of sexual crime is done against the person's will or wishes. At all times, this awful thing has happened to them, but at all times we try and provide the responsive package of care that patients okay. need. Those six services across the country, are they open 24 hours? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, so that it doesn't are, matter. They're yeah, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. There's always somebody yeah. there. Okay. Now, there are times when we don't have forensic examiner cover. But thankfully, we've recently trained a huge number of um, new forensic nurse examiners. We also have some new doctors coming on board. So that's less and less of an issue. But what is important is when someone comes to a sexual assault treatment unit is that they're seen by somebody who's appropriately trained. So we will always make sure that whoever sees mm. somebody is used to looking after okay. people after sexual crime. And when the public often hear about these maybe incidents or, or stories that happen or be breaking in, in, in the media about there being maybe a, a delay or no taxi mm. available or car available to bring people to services. You're saying that's in the, that can often be in the, it's the interim period before they arrive at the service. It's the getting to the yes, service can getting to present the service. as a problem. And as I say, 80, in, in 2018, 84% of people were seen within three hours of reporting an incident to the guards. So that's pretty timely. Okay. We're talking today about the issue of domestic violence in Ireland mm. and in particular as well, um, how sex crime in this country are on the rise and we're citing recent Central Statistics Office figures Mm. um, that show that to be the case. Is that something anecdotally or even looking at your own figures as well May from across the country you're you're in charge of the sex assault Mm. treatment services do you see that? Yes we see each year for the last number of years the number number of reported instances of um, sexual violence to us have increased. Um, Now, we're eternally optimistic in the sexual assault treatment unit services and we hope that part of that reason is just more people accessing care after something. 
So we know from many, many international studies and national studies that only a minority of people will tell somebody if they've had an episode of unwanted sexual contact. Only a minority of people will actually seek help. We've all, we're always in the sexual assault treatment unit services only seeing the tip of the iceberg. But what we're hoping is that we're now seeing a larger tip of that iceberg. So you're saying so, that perhaps it's not necessarily that there's actually more incidents happening. It's that more people are, I suppose, A, reporting it and B, getting help yeah. for it. I mean, the reality of it is we actually don't know. Is it that there's more incidents happening or is it that people are more likely to be getting help? Um, the last study done on the prevalence of sexual violence in this country was done in the early 2000s. Um, it's often quoted as the Savvy Report, Sexual Abuse and Violence in Ireland study. Um, and that determined the prevalence of sexual violence among men and women in this country. The Central Statistics Office are just on board now with commencing a new sexual violence study um, uh, instigated by Minister Charlie Flanagan um, and colleagues and hopefully that will um, give us more up-to-date details on the prevalence. So is the prevalence increasing or is it static or is it reducing but just that more people are actually accessing care. So we don't actually know that. We don't have the answer. Okay. Do we know, I mean, presu- I presume they're looking for people to engage with that research? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had our National Sexual Assault Treatment Unit study day last week and we had a talk from the Central Statistics Office. They're they're really working on that at the moment. Um, they have a multi-agency group involved in designing the survey and questionnaire and hopefully by the end of 2020 they'll begin piloting it, piloting it and then rolling it out. So it's it's a, a huge project mm. because it's a national, um, nationwide study um, with a vo- vast um, a vast population that are hoping to be included in it. So yeah, it it will. I mean, it's going to be another couple of years before um, it runs, and then probably another while after that before we have results. But it's great that um, as a country that we have embraced the importance of getting good prevalence data in order to ensure that our services, whether they're legal or medical um, or indeed psychological support, that we have sufficient resource mm, yeah. to respond to the need. I, I just just follow up on that, uh, the prevalence of the, the survey mm. in a moment, Maeve. I just wanted to ask you, you talked about the fact that, yes, it is a case. It's, 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 um, it's something you've noted that there's more mm. people coming through your doors, mm. whatever be the reason. Is it more men and women? Yes. Both are coming? Yeah, both. Both men and women. So at the... At, Every year, it's about 90, 92% women and 8 to 10% men. And, and increasing reporting in both men and women. And, I mean, is it anecdotal to say that perhaps would it often have been the case that maybe less men went for follow-up um, support or services mm. or treatment? Or has have you noticed yes, a change it in it? it is hard. I mean... Rape is very difficult regardless of your gender. You know, it doesn't, it traverses, the trauma of it traverses all gender barriers. Mm. But yes, there is, there's a lot of work on, on male rape as well and on the impact of that um, and how traumatic that can be and how difficult it can be for somebody to disclose, same as whether, whether they're a man or a woman, to disclose something, particularly if it was somebody they trusted, somebody they knew um, and something that they never anticipated would happen. Okay. On that particular study you mentioned to Mm. examine and assess the prevalence of these kind of incidents across the country, um, obviously, as you mentioned, that's going to be piloted and Mm. and rolled out. I presume the findings of that will be used to look at, right, what resources have we in place? We've got six services across the country. 
is that enough to meet demand? Mm. I mean, is that ideally what this is about? Yes, yes, that is true. Um, And indeed, last year we had a really successful policy review run by the Department of Health um, where they allied with all the relevant agencies, including the sexual assault treatment units, to review the services of the sexual assault treatment units and to see where we go what's working well, what needs to be developed. And indeed, Minister Harris launched that at the end of March last year and not only launched a review that didn't just sit on a shelf, they actually gave us an implementation budget for 2019 and we've been able to roll out a number of developments in the services around the country. Now we're just waiting to hear what happened last Tuesday and whether we'll get an ongoing increased budget for 2020 to maintain and the service developments that we have introduced. Is there a question that the services, that when you said, you, you mean, sorry, just to clarify, to, mm. to maintain the service development, not Service to development. The services, yeah, the services are embedded. There are six sexual assault treatment units. We are certainly always going to have six sexual assault treatment units because with, with the country and the geography as it yeah. is, you if you're aiming to see people within three hours, you need to have them relatively proximate. Yeah, well, that's the thing because I, I mean I, I'm think I'm from Donegal and yeah. I'm thinking of the the, the um, sexual assault treatment unit that's based in Letterkenny, Letterkenny. and I'm yeah. thinking about the the actual geography of the county Absolutely. and if something happens in the north of the county, you know, yeah. and you've got to get a car to get you to Letterkenny. Like yeah. I wouldn't I would have thought that six wasn't enough. Yeah. Um actually I think in terms of it's always a balance you know, it's a balance between having enough so that you can provide the responsive care to people when they need it. But you also don't want to have too many because you want each unit to be providing care sufficiently regularly that they're very good at doing it. They know how to provide the care. They know how to prescribe the medicines. They know how to respond to a person in crisis. So we do, you know, it's, it's always a fine balance. And we're always, we're not, we're not married to our six units. You know, if ultimately there ends up being a requirement for eight or 10, as long as we have the resource to provide the appropriate number of staff. Yeah, I, I don't want to call it the centre of excellence, but yeah. I mean, is that effectively what you're trying to achieve That's with the policy that you to, have? Yeah, we're trying to achieve that every unit is able to be staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week to respond to people when they need it. And don't forget, if you report an incident to the guards, the guards will bring you. You don't have to make your way from, you know, Malinhead down to a to a, a sexual assault unit or whatever. You know, that's the guards will bring you if you've reported the incident to, to, to Angarda Shiakana. Now, but not, not everybody does report an incident. I was going to ask you yeah. about that. Yeah, so. Not everybody does, but they do want care, you know. So somebody may say... Um, this happened to me last night. Um, I know the person. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to report it to the guards. However, I'm worried, you know, we didn't use contraception um, because it was unwanted sexual contact. I wasn't prepared and he was reckless in terms of using a condom or whatever. So they will come to us for emergency contraception, for infectious disease preventative treatment, um, for follow-up to ensure that they're doing okay. Because whether you tell on Garda Shiakona or not, if you have had unwanted sexual contact, you will require supports and we can provide those supports if you, if you need them. I, and then we have a third cohort of people that will come. So people who are really unsure whether they'll report or not. Um, so it's best if you're going to report to the guards, it's best to do it as soon as possible because DNA evidence deteriorates quickly. But if you're really not sure what you can do once you're over the age of 18 years, you can come to a sexual assault unit and we will store the forensic evidence. We can store it for up to a year. So that gives you a bit of time to decide okay. whether or not you want to report. Now, it means if you ultimately report, there are some pieces of evidence that may be lost, CCTV 
or witnesses or whatever. Some of them may be lost. So it's not as good as reporting straight away, but it's certainly better than never reporting. Can I ask for people who who want to report, but they Mm. want to go to the GP because they perhaps maybe have this visual. And I think this Mm. is why it's important today for you to sort of set the scene and and clarify um, any, you know, kind of visual images that are wrong Mm. that we may have. But I've often heard people um, saying that they would go to their GP rather than go to what they might perceive to be a unit that is Mm. a sexual assault treatment unit in the middle of a hospital. I assume Mm -hmm. it's not as... Yeah. As labelled as that. Yeah. No, it's not. I mean, it is. It, they are five, four of the six are within hospital settings. Two of them are remote from the hospital, the, the Donegal one and the Galway one. Um, so they're in their own standalone sites. Um, but the each unit is very much treated with respect within the unit, within the mm. hospital setting. Because the anonymity of this so, is... Yeah, our one, the one in the Rotunda, is out the back of the Rotunda in the area of the early pregnancy unit, adjacent to the early pregnancy unit, which is a place where people go when they've early pregnancy bleeding. Mm. Again, they don't want to meet their neighbour, talk to their neighbour, mm. talk to their yeah. boss while they're there. So both of those services actually, they work quite well being adjacent okay. to each other um, because people just want to go in, get the care they need, go out again. But sometimes we never force anybody to come to us either. If somebody really wants to go to their GP um, and talk it through, they can certainly do that. A lot of the time, once they've been to their GP and their GP, who they know and trust, explains mm. to them the process of the sexual assault unit um, and the fact that if they don't go to the sexual assault unit, DNA evidence can't be taken. So... That's a bit of a problem because the DNA evidence may be relevant for the investigation. And the other thing is if they go to their GP, their GP can't give them the emergency contraception or or preventative treatment for infectious diseases there and then. The GP will have to give them a prescription or tell them to go to the pharmacy to buy the emergency contraception. And it's, it's all a bit of a process. So in some ways, a lot of the time people will come to us. You know, we'll answer the phone from a GP who'll say, I have somebody sitting here with me today. This happened to them. And we make a plan then with the patient and with the GP. Um, And certainly our guidelines, our national guidelines, have a section in them for GPs and they're on the ICGP website because GPs will not infrequently be the first point of contact. Okay. In your own role, um, Mm. in terms of your your position as the national lead for the Mm. the services across the country, Maeve, um, can you just give us, to draw on best practice maybe across Europe or Mm. across the globe, what do you think we would need to introduce here in Ireland? I mean, if Simon Harris has given you an undisclosed sum of a budget mm. for next year, like w- what can enhance the services that we have? Yeah, well, actually, Simon Harris, I would have to say, has been a huge supporter of the sexual assault treatment units over the last 12 to 18 months. And indeed, he instigated the policy review last year, launched it earlier this year and did give us a budget for um, through his department for, for this year. And he spoke last week at our study day. And he, he is, I genuinely feel he's a supporter of the services. So I am ambitious that we will continue to be funded appropriately. But the things, our, our needs, the needs that we have to respond to our patients appropriately, you know, they're not children hospital building budgets they are small small Mm. budgets really what we want is we want to ensure that we have sufficient staff and that staff I mean 70% of our our workforce within the sexual assault treatment units is specialist nursing and we want to be able to give our specialist nurses 
a really good career path. So they come into us as clinical nurse specialists. Mm. And they're, they're not going to Australia. But, yeah, but that they can also progress to a higher level of nursing, advanced nurse practice. Okay. Um, we also want to ensure that each of our units is appropriate for patients so that there's sufficient and um, private waiting areas and yeah. sufficient resources in order to provide the patients what, what they need. Maeve, know? it's been really interesting to talk to you today and just to give us, I suppose, a kind of an overview of what actually happens because it's it's something we we don't often and often hear that much about. So my thanks to you for taking the time today to come and talk to us. This is, of course, Dr Maeve Ogan, Consultant Obstetrician and the National Lead for Sexual Assault Treatment Services across the country. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. For more information on the Government of Ireland's No Excuses campaign, you can go to newstalk.com forward slash no excuses. And if you've missed any of the programme, you can listen back to it on the Golight app or on newstalk.com. My thanks to the production team, as always, Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6 and with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.